Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. You are steadfast. You are unchanging. You are long-suffering. We thank you for all of these attributes and so many more. Not only do, can, can we trust that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we can trust that you are long-suffering with us, that your, your love is always poured out on us, and the goal is to make us more and more into the image of your Son. We thank you that you are patient with us as you bring us further and further along and closer and closer to that goal. We thank you for all the grace you have on us, both in the everyday situations, we're out on the road, in our cars, grace you have on us to keep us safe driving, uh, keep us safe as we're out uh, running errands or whatnot. Uh, but the big things too, uh, hospital visits, births, uh, dealing with scary health situations, we thank you that you're always there. Your, your presence is always there. We don't know what your plan will hold, but we know that we can trust you. We know that you are our good and perfect Father. We thank you that your word reveals to us this truth that we, could, that we can find our peace in. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1789, Benjamin Franklin wrote in a letter in reference to the newly established United States government, and I quote, Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency, but in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. I think we've all heard the end part of this quote in some shape or form. Even if you live in the middle of the woods, somewhere, with no connection whatsoever to the rest of the world, you still have to pay taxes on that property. That is still certain. And we know from Scripture, it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. There are certain certainties in life. There are other uncertainties in life. I think that we should add another experience in life that is also certain. And that is the existence of difficult times. Life will always consist of difficult, painful times. We're going to find out why as we go through this message. The question was asked uh, during one of the messages shared yesterday at the memorial service. Why do, good, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? How many times have we heard that question asked? And it was mentioned instead, and you've heard me say the same thing from the pulpit here, that the question should rather be turned around. Why do good, gracious, blessing-filled things happen to bad, sinful people? Which is all of us. We look around the world, and we look at our own lives, and we wonder, what in the world is God doing? 
Why is God allowing so many difficult, painful, heart-wrenching times for so many people? Some people, you ask them that question, and they'll give you a blank look. They will have no clue. They will not have a reason. They will not have an answer. But God's word tells us otherwise. And that is the beauty of God's word. That it equips us to, to, to go through any situation in life and to be able to answer any problem that is happening in life. And just the same, Scripture tells us otherwise to this age-old question. Scripture tells us that there is always a reason for the difficult times we face and how we should face them. The difficult times are going to come. That is a certainty. To think that if I love God and I follow Jesus, I'm just going to have a good, easy life. That is incredibly foolish to think. The difficult times are going to come. But God gives us instruction in his word on why he's allowing it in our life and what to do with it when it happens. Like I said, the fact is there will always be trials. There will always be temptations. There will always be tests. There will always be difficult times. So let's see what God says about these difficult times by looking at James 1, 2 through 4. This was our scripture reading a few minutes ago. So if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to James, the book of James. It's in the New Testament. If you don't know where it is, keep flipping forward so you see the bigger book of Hebrews and then James is the book right after that. Uh, James chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 2, and we read this. No doubt you've heard this before. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We'll just stop there. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. We will take a look at the joy that occurs as a result of the various trials. Well, let's take a look at that phrase, various trials, first. The term various, like in the English language, brings with it the meaning of different, varied, different. This is in direct connection with the word trials, in that there are going to be many different types excuse me, of trials. It's not going to be the same type of trial that you go through your whole life. There are going to be varied different types of trials. This is inherent in the next word, trials. Now, when we hear the word trials in the English, we like to sometimes think that they don't really have anything to do with us, per se, but still a difficulty that we must go through, such as we lose our home due to a fire or foreclosure. We get a bad medical report. We get into a bad car accident, something that didn't really have anything to do with us, but still happens to us. But the word trials here can mean both those things, those things that seem impersonal to us, that we don't have any control over, but happen to us, and things that we face that are very personal to us. Both the impersonal trials and the personal trials. In other words, temptations, of our humanity. Those are the personal trials. These are what hit home. They're the struggles against sin that we face day in and day out. 
They are our weaknesses that are inherently tied to our humanity. They're the weaknesses that we're embarrassed about. They're the weaknesses and the sins that are the dark things that we feel will never leave us and will always remain a part of who we are. In both regards, the seemingly impersonal and the obviously personal are, in reality, both tests. They're both tests. In the impersonal, it is a test of how we will respond in that situation. Now, we're going to be human. We're going to have an initial response to that situation. But are we going to stay in that initial response to that situation? That's, that's what matters here. Will we stay in annoyance? Will we stay in frustration? Will we stay in obstinance or anxiety or fear or anger, or even rage? Will we stay in those places? Or will we respond with, will we move on to understanding? Will we move on to trusting God with it, faith? Will we move on to having peace in that situation? Will we even move on to experiencing joy in that situation? In the personal, it is also a test of our faith. Yes, we are human, and we will always fail sometimes in the battles against our sin. But here's the bigger question. Is that sin that you are recognizing as sin, recognizing it as sin? Are you recognizing what you're struggling with as sin? And are you responding to it as such? Can you look back on your experience with that sin and can you see growth in overcoming it? Can you see growth in having victory over it? Are you daily giving it over to God to remove that sin from you and to grow you more and more into His image? See, there is a huge, huge difference between struggling against your sin and having your good days against it and your bad days with it there's a big difference between that and simply not caring about it. And there's a big difference between struggling with that sin and having your good days and your bad days with it and celebrating that sin. There is a huge difference between the two. Don't be discouraged if you don't see immediate change. Don't be discouraged if you don't even see change over a certain period of time. If you care, about overcoming it and you're surrendering it to God he is changing you little by little he's removing the grip of it from your life if every day you are surrendering that to the Holy Spirit's transformation and you're doing what you can to overcome it he is changing you don't be discouraged keep fighting against it he's fighting right alongside with you so even in the impersonal trials and the personal temptations, James says we can still have joy and even we should still have joy. In both types of those trials, we can still have joy and we should still have joy. The people James is writing to were his church. 
were his flock of sheep that was scattered across the ancient Mediterranean world. Their whole lives were, ups, were turned upside down at one point simply because of their faith. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we read that at the execution of Deacon Stephen, uh, that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Deacon Stephen to death. And we also read in that verse, on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Guess who was one of the main leaders of that church in Jerusalem? The guy who was writing, writing this letter, the apostle James. And suddenly, in what is recorded in Acts 8, chapter 1, or Acts chapter 8, verse 1, his church is thrown out into the ancient Mediterranean world, scattered throughout that area because of intense persecution. A lot of these people that he's writing to with this letter were the same people who had already given up their lives in other lands to begin a new life in Jerusalem following the day of Pentecost. They were there when the Apostle Peter gives his famous sermon and 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. They gave up their lives in other lands to make a new life in Jerusalem to become a part of the church in Jerusalem. Now they are forced out of Jerusalem back out to other lands. Some of these people ended up going back home. We don't know. Where they ended up, however, they were taking something new with them. They came into Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, whatever people they were. On the day of Pentecost, they became new people. They put their faith in Jesus. They now had the Holy Spirit with them. Then when they left Jerusalem, forced out because of intense persecution, they were different people, and they were bringing something new with them back to the lands they were going to. And that is the Holy Spirit, and that is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. These new believers build new lives in new lands. A period of time passes. We can determine about how much time passes between that great persecution that forced them out of Jerusalem, that is recorded in Acts 8.1, and when James writes this letter to them here. We get a clue in Galatians 1.18 and Galatians 2.1. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 1.18, Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, another name for Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. And then he writes in Galatians 2.1, Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. That's the time here in Galatians 2.1 uh, of the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council was the end of the range of the writing of James' letter. So you add those descriptions of time up, there's rudimentary mathematics to you, for you. Three years plus 14 years. How many years do we have? 17 years. The Jerusalem Council happened in 49 AD. Now, why is this important? The Apostle Paul wasn't always known as Paul, was he? 
He was first known as, he was used to be known primarily as the man Saul. And he was a ruthless persecutor of Christians. In fact, he is the same Saul that we read in Acts 8.1, just before that great persecution that scattered all of the Jerusalem church, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Deacon Stephen to death. So sometime between the great persecution that scattered the people that James is writing to in his letter, Saul commits his life to Jesus, starts going by Paul, and then a period of 17 years occurs. What's my point? You might be sitting here and thinking, boy, pastor, this is pretty dry here. You're not starting off too well after a two-week hiatus. What's my point? James is not writing to people who were freshly displaced. He's not writing to people who were freshly displaced. James is writing to people who had made up his church at one point, but were forced out of Jerusalem at least 17 years prior to him writing this letter of the, of the book of James. James's recipients had time to build new lives. And this is why I spent that time laying that out. 17 years is a long time, is it not? James's recipients were well established in their new homelands. So even though these people's new lives were now pretty well established at this point, 17 years later, the same trials and the same temptations were befalling them. That's my point. Some things never change, do they? It's been 17 years and they're still dealing with the same trials and the same temptations. There will always be trials and temptations this side of heaven that will test our faith. They'll always be there. Those are sure certain things in life. How we respond to them over time and with God's grace and growth hopefully change. Those things hopefully change with the transformation of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But no matter what the trial or temptation is, one's response should never change. And that is what we just read. To have what in the midst of it? Joy! What? Joy. Even in the midst of the hardest, most painful, most difficult sins to overcome, and the most heart-wrenching of experiences, we are to still have joy. That response should never change, no matter how many years have passed. Joy does not come naturally to us, does it, as humans? No. You, the opposite usually happens to us naturally as humans. This is why James had to instruct his, instrip, his, his recipients to have joy. If we naturally had joy in these trials and temptations, would James have any need to write have joy in the midst of these trials and temptations? No. He has to instruct his recipients to have joy, and God is instructing us today to have joy. Now, what is joy? It is a fruit of the Spirit, is it not? So what, it, 
go through the fruits of the Spirit, we have love. The very next one is joy. What does that mean? That means that joy has to be grown in us. We cannot create joy ourselves. It means that joy has to be grown in us by the Holy Spirit. We cannot manufacture joy in any given situation on our own, but we can create the right environment for joy. We can create the right conditions for joy to thrive. You're not actually the one who grows a tree from a seed. That's God's job, right? But you can be the one who creates the right conditions for that tree to grow well. A lot of people I know in our congregation who have home gardens. You're not the one who grows those plants, but you can add compost and you can build that soil uh, um, a nutri nutrient level up, and you can do everything you can to provide the right conditions for those plants to thrive. You can make sure the soil is tilled. You can make sure there's plenty of sun. You can make sure there's enough water and nutrients for that tree or that plant. In the same way, you can create the right conditions for God to produce the seed of joy to sprout in your heart. And what do I mean for that? The word for joy means to recognize God's grace. You want to know what joy means? It's not happiness. We all know that. We all know that joy is not happiness because happiness is based on the condition, is based on the experience we're going through. We know that joy is not happiness. So what is joy? Well, the word for joy means to recognize God's grace. That's what joy means. That's what joy really is. Joy is recognizing God's grace. In every situation, in every difficulty, in every celebration, we have an opportunity to recognize God's grace in that situation. In every difficult situation, we learn a lesson. We learn a lesson that can prevent an even worse situation down the road. In every situation, we have to be thankful, as difficult as that is to hear. And in every situation, we can recognize God's grace in that situation and be thankful because of God's grace. James instructs his recipients in this way. Because when we have joy, when we recognize God's grace in every situation, then where is our focus? Our focus is no longer on that situation, is it? It's now, it our focus is no longer on the emotions connected to that situation. Our focus is now on God. Our focus is looking for, finding seeing his grace in that situation and then thanking him for that grace. Our focus is now on God, which is what our heart should always be focused on. So that difficult trial or temptation that you are facing now, look for what God's grace is in that situation. There might be times where you have to look pretty hard 
and, and pretty deep into that situation. But it will be there. God's grace will always be in whatever situation you're going through. So whatever difficult trial or temptation you are facing now, instead of being brought down by that situation or being ruled by the emotions connected to that situation, take a step back from it and ask yourself the question, what is the grace that God is now showing to me right now, even in the midst of this situation? It's there. What is it? What can I be thankful to God for? even in the midst of that situation. And perhaps even because of that situation. As we focus more and more on God's grace and thanking Him for that grace and less and less on the situation, this verse suddenly makes more and more sense. Rejoice in the Lord Always. Again, Paul says, if you missed it the first time, here it is again. I will say, rejoice. One way that we can always be joyful about, no matter what the test is, is that that test is an opportunity for growth. Even if we don't find anything else about that situation to be joyful about, to see God's grace in, that test is another opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity to grow more endurance in you. We read verse 2, now we move on to verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Another word for growth is pruning. Same word. Another word for growth is pruning. For anyone not familiar with the term, if you want a flowering or fruit-bearing plant to become as fruitful, to become as effective as possible, you need to cut off the branches that are not producing anything, but rather they're sucking nutrients away from parts that are growing and need those nutrients. The act of cutting away those branches is known as pruning. And I highly doubt that plants like to be pruned. Do you think they enjoy it? In the same way, when we are pruned, that is, when God cuts off things from our lives that are not making us as effective for Him as we should be, it hurts, doesn't it? In order to grow your muscles, you need to work them out. If you're like me, you will go for long periods of time before you work out again. <laughs> and then when you finally are able to work out, how do you feel the next day? Do you feel good? No, not at all. You're usually <laughs> in a lot of pain, right? Growth equals pain. And I'm not just saying, Whoa. No pain, no gain up here, you know. But growth equals pain. If you want to grow, you will experience pain. It never comes easy. Growth does not come easy. Growth is painful. In fact, when you go easy on a muscle and you don't do anything with it, what happens to it? It atrophies. It becomes useless, in other words. 
I'm not sure how healthy this is, but for this illustration, there is a workout concept called burning out. I don't know if anybody here has heard of this workout concept or not. Burning out. The concept is that you work out the muscles you want to build as much as you physically can until you no longer can do it. You can't move the next day, but the torn up muscles then rebuild from that experience and they rebuild even stronger. When these muscles are then worked out after that, after they're given time to recover and build back up, they can now endure more workout given to them, which in turn make them even stronger. Everybody following me so far? Okay. In other words, it produces endurance. It makes them stronger. You could keep getting stronger and stronger from that point forward, but you have to start somewhere. And is that somewhere a pleasant experience? No. You're going through a ton of pain. Some of you are in a burnout time in your life right now. Or you've just come out of a burnout time in your life. Or, unbeknownst to you, you're about to head into a burnout time in your life. Everything seems to be painful and hopeless. But rest assured, it doesn't end there. Where you are right now is not the end of the story. This is not the way it's always going to be. This is a season. That's not all that's going on right now. That pain that you're experiencing right now is actually working for you. It's producing growth and endurance in you. It's producing more strength in you. You may not see it, but that pain is growing endurance in you. It's growing the opportunity to become even stronger. It's growing the ability to withstand the next, even harder experience down the road. Why does God do it this way? Why does God not just leave us alone as we try to just be as happy as possible? Because he knows better than us. Because he knows that we will never be joyful unless we find our joy in him. And we will never realize that on our own. If we're just spending our entire lives looking for the happiness and joy that we can get from situations or from this world, we will never get it. We will never have it. We can only realize true joy from him. We all know this. We don't like to hear it, but we all know this. If left to ourselves, all we would ever do is focus on ourselves and do what makes us happy and do what is easy. And our spiritual muscles would atrophy and become useless. And guess what? We'd become useless to the kingdom of God. God knows that's what would happen. Because we're sinful, fallen human beings. And so he designed our growth to be based 
on the trials he allows into our lives. He knows these trials are going to come anyways because we live in a broken, sinful world. So he uses these trials for our growth. True fulfillment in our lives requires pruning. True fulfillment requires pruning. And pruning is painful. But pruning produces endurance to grow even more fruit and find even more fulfillment in God. A tree will bear a certain amount of fruit the first time. But the more pruning that occurs on that tree, which is painful, again, the more endurance is produced to grow even more fruit. What is our greatest aspiration, or what should be our greatest aspiration as disciples of Jesus? To serve Christ, right? That should be our greatest aspiration. What is the greatest way to serve Christ? To bear much fruit. Jesus said so. If you think, well, no, I don't think my greatest aspiration should bear fruit uh, for God. Well, Jesus already said that that should be your greatest aspiration. He said, my father has glorified this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you want to prove that you're one of Jesus' disciples, you've got to bear much fruit. And if you want to bear much fruit, there's going to be pruning happening in your life. The process of growing endurance leads to ultimate fulfillment. Read uh, uh, in uh, verse 4, we read this. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you continue to surrender everything up to trusting in God's control over your life, if you let this process run its course, it will result in your fulfillment. There's nothing more fulfilling than finding joy in every circumstance. We all know this. I'm going to say it again. There's nothing more fulfilling than finding joy in every circumstance, right? What happens at that point? What happens is that nothing affects you at that point. When you find joy in every circumstance, nothing affects you. Let's take that tree imagery again. A tree that is not developed will always bend with every gust of wind. It will never bear the amount of fruit it should, or really any, and branches will snap off. But a tree that's been through a lot and is still standing, now that's inspiring, isn't it? You look at these mammoth trees that have been around for hundreds of years, for the sake of our image, do you think they fear anything? No, they've already been through all of it. And why? Why do they not fear anything? Because their roots are firmly planted in the ground. Nothing shakes them, nothing moves them, nothing affects them. This verse illustrates this perfectly. I love this verse. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water 
that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes or anything comes. Its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought. Nothing affects it. It has no fear. It has no anxiety. And more importantly, it will never cease to yield fruit. Not only does it have no fear, it has no anxiety, but it's year after year after year is bearing much fruit. I don't know about you. That's what I want to be. Don't you? I want to be fearless. I want to be unwavering. I want to be faithful. I want to have endurance. And that's what verse 4 in our passage this morning is talking about. The word for perfect doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect before Jesus comes back for us. That's not what it means. It means fully developed. That's what it means. The word for perfect here means fully developed. And the word for complete means whole. Fully developed and whole. This isn't a news flash to anybody here. We're all broken. We all know that. None of us are whole. But the trials and temptations we go through and weather with God's strength set us down the path towards wholeness. They all serve this purpose. Every single one of them. Every single trial we go through, every single temptation we go through serves this purpose. Setting us down that path towards wholeness. Even if we never understand the whys of them happening. One thing is always for sure. There will always be trials. There will always be difficult times this side of heaven. Would you rather be a sapling that always bends whatever the circumstances are, always be enslaved to your fear and anxiety about the next thing that comes down the road, or would you rather be a staunch mammoth tree that Jeremiah is describing here? One that is freed from fear and bears fruit no matter what the outside circumstances are. No matter what is happening all around it, even at the base of the tree. No matter what is going on all around it, it's freed from fear and bears much fruit. I think all of us would rather be that staunch mammoth tree, fully developed, complete, whole, and lacking nothing. I think all of us here watching online later want to be fearless, want to be full of faith, no matter the situation. I think all of us want to be continually joyful, no matter the situation. James has laid out for us through the Holy Spirit how we can be that way. And it's really very simple. The fantastic news is that you can be. James has already laid out through the Holy Spirit the instruction that brings each and every one of us to that place. Like I said, it's really very simple. 
recognize God's grace in every single situation. Face each difficulty with God's strength, knowing that you will come out stronger and bearing even more spiritual fruit. And you can be that deeply rooted, staunch, immovable tree, faithful and fearless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful instruction you've given to us in your word. You say in your word that everything in it is given to us to equip us so that we can go out into this world and live the life you've called us to and do every good work you've given us to do. We can't do that if we're constantly being bent by every wind and storm, branches breaking off, not bearing any fruit, always being enslaved to our fear and anxiety. But Lord, we can do that when we firmly plant ourselves in the foundation that is you and your plan and your perfection so that no matter what we go through, we can recognize your grace, look for it in every single circumstance and know that every, every single circumstance is an opportunity for you to grow us, for you to strengthen us, for you to prune us and therefore to give us more endurance and strengthen us for the next trial down the road. We thank you that you have equipped us with this knowledge. I pray that your Holy Spirit within us would, would fully uh, manifest that in our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.